everyone. It's Gloria, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of Miss Independent. Today, I'm joined by my friend Rhonda, who will be giving you the rundown on all things crypto. I didn't know much about crypto before this episode, and I'm happy to say that I kind of get it now. Again, I will be splitting this episode into two parts because there is just so much to get through with cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. In part one this week, we will be talking about what cryptocurrency and blockchain are, how they revolutionized accounting, and get a little bit into crypto frauds. Hope you enjoy! I am here today with a very special guest, my friend Rhonda. Thanks for having me. (laughs) You're so welcome. Thanks so much for being on the show. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm turning 25 by December this year. I have a really late birthday. Christmas Eve, if anyone wants to get me presents. So do you get double the presents or no? No. With an Asian family, Gloria, you don't get double presents. (laughs) That's just... (laughs) Well, that's too bad. (laughs) But I'm an art director by trade. I'm currently working in a creative department of an advertising agency in downtown Toronto. And I guess a fun fact would be, according to my five-minute LinkedIn research, I'm the only art director working in an ad agency in downtown Toronto that holds an economics degree. Wow, interesting. Next question for you. What is your relationship with money? Before I started investing, which is literally this year, with like how I view money was more like an obstacle to get to certain things. I mean, like to buy certain things. Now that I'm invested, my whole perception of money shifted into like these two divided categories. So to me right now, it's money itself in terms of the relationship to me is kind of defined by either is it a currency and then number two, equity. So this currency idea is kind of this medium of exchange. And then the whole idea of equity using a battery analogy, the money is the energy and I'm storing it into these batteries, which is the equity that I own. Right. And for it to grow too, right? Not just to to stay there, but to keep up with inflation and to increase in value. Yeah. All right, so let's get into today's topic, cryptocurrency. I know very little about crypto, although I know that recently it's had quite quite the bull run. So I thought it would be interesting to chat a little bit and understand it a little better. So yeah, Rhonda, why don't you start off with your background in investing? I know you started investing quite recently. I basically started right during the midst of the pandemic around i want to say middle of march was when i transferred a bunch of money over to well simple trade the platform i use during the start of this year i was kind of already looking roughly into these like investment type of youtube videos on just like figuring out what the whole thing was but then uh during the pandemic it literally seemed like the market have backtracked about three to five years worth of earnings overall. And then for certain companies, it's like it backtracked 10 years. 
of its uh, price gains.、Mm-hmm. So then I said to myself, well, if there's a good time to invest, it's probably now. More recently, for me, crypto is seen as more of this like greater storage of wealth vehicle. So in the end, I, I'm really just putting the money aside, whatever money I made aside, and I just want to keep it there. I just don't want it to go away or like or have any of the energy drain from the batteries. Right. Before we get into it, let's define what cryptocurrency is. The Merriam-Webster dictionary defines cryptocurrency as any form of currency that only exists digitally. That usually has no central issuing or regulating authority, but instead uses a decentralized system to record transactions and manage the issuance of new units, and that relies on cryptography to prevent counterfeiting and fraudulent transactions. And when I clicked into cryptography, cryptography's definition is secret writing. So basically. It's encrypted digital currency without a central bank, so it's decentralized. Something that was interesting that I found was that all cryptocurrencies have a blockchain, but not all blockchain have cryptocurrencies. So basically, it's trying to give the power back to the people. And each coin has a unique code, and if you own Bitcoin, you have a wallet. And this also has a unique code. And the wallet is where you can send your cryptocurrency to and from. And the value of crypto changes based on the perceived value, which is why it's like a stock, even though there's no real underlying asset. So let's get into what blockchain is. Can you explain what blockchain is in perfectly layman's terms? So the best analogy, I would think of it as a never-ending history book on the internet. In this history book, information are recorded in the pages that are called blocks. So whatever information that you're able to fit within a page, that's defined as a block. And the most recent pages are added to the very back of the book. So it's a history book with like a chronological order of history behind it. And all the computers in the network are adding to it and verifying the information in this one giant history book. So you got like a whole network of information that's adding to the history and then contributing to the pages and making sure that the information are correct and authenticating the information in this history book are real. And then. All these events are added into the chronological history, right? But like, what, what computers and like what network? All the computers that runs on the Bitcoin software. So, like the mining ones. Yeah, these mining ones are acting as the mining vehicle and also the verification vehicle. Okay. So essentially, the blockchain network. All these computers are really just databases and servers that's connected to the internet, and then all the machines that mines new Bitcoin basically records that information on the blockchain that new Bitcoin is created. Before you have this many Bitcoin in the network, now now there's more. And Bitcoin mining is when you basically help with the network. 
right? Like your computer helps to validate the transactions and store info. And then you get a fractional Bitcoin as reward for lending your processing power, which in theory makes sense. But whose computers are being used? It can't be just random individuals, right? Because it sounds like it requires a lot of processing power. Like, I don't think I could run it on my personal laptop. There are a lot of companies that owns these computers. Technically, as an individual, you're able to just have your own computer and mine uh, and just run on the Bitcoin software and just start mining Bitcoin and verifying the transactions within the network. So like anyone can do it. You just need like a lot of processing power. During the very beginning of the time where like you, you hear a lot of people that's mining Bitcoin. And during that time, the difficulty level mining for new Bitcoin is really cheap. But now as the network strengthens, this is built within the Bitcoin software protocol that the more Bitcoin you create within the system, at certain points, there are these like reward having events, which means like every time you mine a certain amount of Bitcoin, you're getting less by mining it. There are 21 million Bitcoin that's ever possible for you to mine. Once you get into like 5 million, your rewards, before you were getting 100 Bitcoin per mine, now you're getting 50. That's not how like the technicalities work, but like I'm just simplifying. And so what you're referring to right now is called halving, which you can kind of think of as Bitcoin's monetary policy, but it's written into code instead of done through political processes, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah, that's basically how the whole software protocol works. And in the end, you're only able to have 21 million Bitcoin within the network. And that's roughly estimated to be at around the year of 2130, that's roughly when all the Bitcoin will be mined. And now we're at about 18 million within the world. So that's like the limit of Bitcoin? Yep, 21 million. Okay. <laughs> so so it, at, at the very basic level, you're able to kind of view this as like just a giant history book. Right. So it's the the history of all of the Bitcoins or cryptocurrencies are like on the internet and it's validated and verified by like different computers on the network, but like you don't know like who or what. So so there are these uh, public companies that are listing their servers because there was a time where it was profitable for an individual to just mine these Bitcoins, but now it has become such a point that it's becoming so difficult to mine certain amount of Bitcoin that it just doesn't make sense unless you have like a service network. You have like a, just a giant database of these computers that's all working towards mining these Bitcoin. I think within the world, roughly 30% of these computers roughly are in China. Mm-hmm. And these are companies that you're able to just kind of research of like what these servers are. And then there are a lot of smaller companies throughout the world that's mining Bitcoin. I think Malta is kind of viewed as a giant Bitcoin capital. Oh, home of the Maltese dog. (laughs) (laughs) The home of the Maltesers, the candy. 
(laughs) (laughs) No, but like, uh, so, so you're actually able to find out like who these servers are and roughly how much percentage of their servers kind of occupy within the Bitcoin network. Mm -hmm. But then how do you know that it's real and how do you know that it's accurate? What's so interesting is the Bitcoin ledger system is all pretty much transparent. So you're able to technically find out who are the same people that's contributing within the network. So everything is pretty much accurate in terms of uh, transparency. Okay. So like you can go in and see like what's going on. Yeah. What's so powerful with the blockchain is that there are certain blockchains are more private than others, but with the Bitcoin network, this might be within the original code, but like as an analytics firm, you kind of do have to do a bit of a research or like do a bit of a data processing within the network. But since like, anyone is able to look within this history book, you're able to find out through all the history and events that happened, who created what, or like who contributed what, and then which set of computers verified these numbers of information. And just from that, they're able to calculate which servicer are kind of roughly occupying what amount of percentage within the network. Okay, and does every cryptocurrency have its own blockchain? Right now, there are more cryptocurrencies that are occupying the Ethereum network just because Ethereum have built such a platform that it's easier for developers to code new cryptocurrencies based on their underlying network or their underlying code. Okay, but then Ethereum is also... A cryptocurrency itself. Yeah. So you're able to kind of use this gold versus oil analogy within crypto space. If you see Bitcoin as gold, Ethereum is almost like oil. So you're able to use the oil to kind of turn into different things to use it for different purposes because Ethereum created this idea of smart contracts. And with smart contracts, you're able to kind of have the code to perform other tasks as a developer you're able to have them to kind of dictate certain tasks so you're technically able to use ethereum to create real estate contracts and that's the power of it so you're able to use ethereum to kind of create a say a betting network or like a gambling network that's what's interesting about ethereum it's kind of like this flexible thing that as a coder or like as a developer, you're able to mold it into different things versus Bitcoin is kind of like hard and set into just only one purpose, which is mine the Bitcoin. And then also you're able to transact the Bitcoin. Interesting. So what are some things that people need to know about cryptocurrency before getting into it? You kind of need to figure out why do you want to get into cryptocurrency? Is it a diversification strategy within your portfolio? Or is it like an inflation hedge strategy? Or do you believe in this idea in the future, the world is going to use Bitcoin or crypto for its own financial infrastructure? So to me, I think it's the latter, just because the way traditional finance is set up right now. So if you think about the history of accounting breakthroughs within the world, 
the very first person who created accounting. This idea of a single entry accounting, where one person is keeping the records of a ledger or a history book of all the transactions that took place within a financial setting. This whole idea became flawed because who's to say that this one person might not be creating human error within this history book, or they might be corrupt and then commit fraud. So with that, double entry accounting became a new innovation within the financial space because this kind of solved the problem of two parties disputing the accuracy. Of the transactions, so、mm-hmm. if so, in this case, Gloria has a book, and I, Runda has a book. Runda paid a hundred dollars to Gloria for a subscription to her podcast. Right. So, Gloria's accounting book will look like debit, cash, credit, sales, and then Runda's accounting book will look like debit subscription, which is an asset, and then credit cash. Yeah. So in this case, you kind of have these two entries within the system. This kind of helps to keep the accuracy between two financial parties in terms of、uh, what exactly happened. But then here's another case, which is really interesting because what if one party records an error or falsifies a transaction and then goes to a authority? So let's say like Gloria entered in fifty bucks, and in her books, it seems like I'm supposed to owe her another fifty bucks. But then I said, no, I gave you a hundred dollars already. And then to the police, who is the police supposed to trust? Like whose history book are they supposed to look at in order to find the real transaction in this case? That actually happened, right? So that the same issue with the single entry system still exists. Yeah, so it still happens with an authority case. Blockchain is interesting because it gives you this idea of having this entire network of independent computers or servers to audit all the transactions that took place for everyone within this system. It's really difficult to have. Errors or falsify informations in this system, unless you control more than fifty percent of the network. So it's almost like recording something within this history book, and then having a bunch of eyes looking at the history book all at the same time. Right. So, in other words, blockchains don't have a single point of failure, and therefore they can't be changed from a single computer. Which makes it harder to tamper with, and the larger the network is, the harder it will be to hack. Yeah, this methodology kind of invited this idea of like you don't have just double entry system; you have the network system that's validating the entries.、Mm-hmm. So every participant within the system are able to kind of figure out what exactly happened. And I I can't really say that it's flawless because like I don't know the future methodologies of like what might happen in the world, but like this is blockchain itself in terms of theory seems like to me at least the next step of 
double entry accounting. Okay, true. Because you're right, there hasn't really been any advancements in modern accounting since double entry, yeah. aside from like new standards. Yeah, essentially, like what what a lot of financial institutions have done is they basically took the old world system, but then just put it on the internet. Yeah. So right now, what a lot of these banks are doing without blockchain network are doing is that they're still doing the in and out system, which means like whenever they're getting money, they're recording it. Whenever they're pushing out money, they're recording it. They're not recording the individual unique identifying factors of like what each every single dollars. They're not counting the, their, their dollars. They're not looking at the currency and then recording those identifiers like CF00, mm-hmm. zero, zero, blah, blah, blah. They're just like putting, entering these numbers as like an aggregate. Okay. But then for crypto, like every single like Bitcoin or whatever has a unique identifier. So that's how you're able to track it. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Have you heard of OneCoin and how it was a scam? I was listening to this podcast called The Missing Crypto Queen, and it followed the story of Dr. Ruja, who was the creator of OneCoin. And it just, it seemed like a cult. And there were so many people who were so into it. And it was so interesting because people were just buying into it and they did not really understand what was going on. Yeah, so... I don't know much about, and this is all because like, I'm still fairly new. I just started this year. Give me a break. Uh, Yeah, I know. Listen to the podcast. I don't know much about OneCoin specifically, but I do know during the last 2017 bull market and then with the eventual bust of late 2018 and 2019, it seemed like the biggest problem during the bust was within the altcoin community. This meaning alternative coins or alternative crypto assets where like you can have a bunch of these companies. At the time, it seems like it was a giant problem with a bunch of different companies that are just servicing out of nowhere that's kind of competing against Bitcoin or uh, Ethereum or all these different assets. I mean, like, You can arguably say that at the time, Ethereum was competing, was within one of those assets as well, because Ethereum has more recent history of like, I think 2015 or something like that. But a big problem within these altcoin companies were like creators or developers that just began to emerge was these organizations weren't doing their necessary due diligence to launch their own cryptocurrency to operate the financial within their financial system. And a decent number of investors are just kind of like jumping into the craze of cryptocurrencies. And at the time, back in 2017, a lot of government bodies or regulators, they didn't really give a defining regulation or rule set out for people to invest in crypto assets. So over here, you got this case of a lot of companies or entities that might be running scams, literally running scams, and they might not even be under a 
blockchain network, their coins might not even be running on blockchain. It could literally be a Ponzi scheme. Mm-hmm. And with the hype of the crypto markets, plus a lot of these initial investors are just trying to jump on their bandwagon of trying to navigate, oh, this is Bitcoin, this is Ethereum. And then there's all these other stuff that might succeed. So I might just like buy into these baskets of stuff. Now, what's interesting in 2020 is that more regulating bodies are starting to address this whole issue of crypto assets itself as an investment. And you're seeing the currency of the comptroller office within the United States defining the rule for banks to actually hold custody of crypto assets and also buy and sell crypto assets. And you're seeing the Security Exchange Commission within the U.S. to also address this regulation on also permitting financial institutions to also hold, buy, and sell crypto assets. And usually Bitcoin and Ethereum are the main names that gets brought up in these cases because those two entities are usually, you're, you're able to see their open source code. So any developer can basically verify within their code of like, okay, this is a legit thing. This is exactly how the process goes within this software. So it seems like a legit blockchain network within this underlying technology. And then you have the stakeholders like the Bitcoin miners or the Bitcoin developer community or the Ethereum miners, the Ethereum developing community that's also addressing this of saying like, hey, we check this out and then we think that this is sustainable as a network because it basically validates the underlying technology to actually become an asset. And I I think a lot of these regulating bodies are kind of seeing that a little bit more. In Canada, it's still more loose. They still see it as like kind of a commodity, almost like a piece of art in terms of accounting. But um, some, some countries have decided to ban. I'm thinking of India. And then some countries have a more limited approach. But in the end, like if you have access to a crypto exchange to buy the asset, that has become a little bit more regulated mm-hmm. within the government institutions, at least within North America. Okay. So there is regulation that is coming about as we go along with the maturity of Bitcoin. So that's all the time that we have for this week. Please tune in next week where we will be picking up right where we left off by discussing different options to get into investing crypto. As the aspiring Independent, this is Gloria signing out. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. And if you're using Apple Pods, please toss me five stars. It would help me so, so much. So see you next time. Until then, stay healthy and grow wealthy.